I go in the world and I try to bring my full self wherever I am. And I try to be and demonstrate freedom and learn freedom from other people who have it and be in a movement with them. And so when I think about queer and trans people in particular, queer and trans and two-spirit people, and in the country that we live in that tries to erase us, that part of the, the manifest destiny, part of the doctrine of discovery was to erase trans identities, right? What a revolutionary act it is as Black folks to say, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't have all the knowledge of what someone was assigned at birth, even if I don't know if I ever will get to see someone like that in real life or get to see, you know, the whole of who they are, can I honor that they exist and that they're real, even if they're outside of my own experience? The Grow Dialogue podcast is a liberation project that explores equity, inclusion, belonging, conflict resolution, and culture in the workplace and beyond, including in our personal relationships, families, and communities. Each week, my co-host, Mariella Marie, and I will bring you insightful guest interviews and artistic expressions curated to amplify emerging voices who are sharing practices that support society's transition to a more collaborative, just, sustainable, and liberating coexistence. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality, and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, I created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy and provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. Let's grow dialogue. Hello, Ira X. How are you doing today? And I'm, I'm so happy that you know you've agreed to come on to the Grow Dialogue podcast with me. And I know we've had a chance to um, interact and, and have various uh, conversations through different platforms in the past, primarily social media, but also another virtual uh, platform like this. We've had a chance to interact. Uh, in the past. And I'm just really excited for our listeners to be able to just learn more about who you are as a person and the things you're passionate about and your background and the work that you're doing in the world. So let's get into it. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. All right. So I'd like to start out by asking for you to define yourself. Who are you? Mm. You know, um, I love this question. Um, You know, I I grew up in South Central and... um, South Central Los Angeles? uh South Central Los Angeles. And um, who you think you are is, that's fighting words. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
and who are you is different, right? And whose are you, right? Mm. Um, and who do you follow, right? And those are actually three of the questions that I ask folks to do when I'm working with them is who are you, whose are you, and who do you follow, right? And so okay. myself, um, I am a parent of 15-year-old twins who are uh, my ancestors' dreams and coming, my ancestors come back to life in this round. And um, I am partner to my beloved Joanna, my nesting partner, and to <coughs> other partners um, who've not agreed to be named on the radio. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll ask them before. Um, I am the co-founder of Peace Out Loud, which I run with my nesting partner and um, my uh, platonic life partner, Kara Kelsey. And um, I am the child of George and Luann. Um, George was a black revolutionary who died when I was 15 years old. And uh, Luann is a on the planet, a white abolitionist. Um, and I belong to the movement and the people and the principles that I was raised with and that I practiced to the best of my ability and imperfectly on a daily basis. And um, I think about, I dream about a time, I am salmon boy, and I follow the Ohlone and the Zapatista and black and brown revolutionaries. And I dream a dream when the salmon have returned to Strawberry Creek. And I know that, that it's possible. Um, and I'm on Ohlone land and I follow Ohlone leadership. So I hope that answers some of that. It does, it does in a, in a very rich way. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I was interested in bringing your presence to our listeners and and having this, you know, this plat sharing this platform with you is because your background is so diverse. Um, you know, literally, I find it, you know, fascinating that you, in your description of who you are and and basically who you are, you know, you you have roots in people for, let's say you come from people of african descent mm -hmm. you come from people of european descent and you come from people of native indigenous descent yeah and and i i you know that's i i am a um, an unregistered choctaw two-spirit and african third gender and european trickster so um that's a an important part of my identity and history and now is that I live in a place where in order to throw any of those away, I would have to also throw myself and my family away. And so having to find a place where all of my beloveds can live and thrive is part of the deep commitment I have to this work of liberation and freedom practice. Yes, yes. And I would like to, I, I appreciate that you honor all the elements of who you are. And, you know, where we live in a culture that conventionally tends to want to consolidate people into 
very narrow categories of black and white and indigenous or Asian or this or that. And it's like, choose one. What I understand that you are, are what you've claimed and what you do is you choose to honor all of them as a part of your identity. Is that accurate in me? Am, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I, I do claim all of the pieces of my identity. Um, you know, I, I I was raised black and I identify as black. Um, okay. I don't, and I also identify as, as a mixed black person, which is true. Um, and okay. you know, the the folks of European heritage and Nordic heritage who I grew up with were abolitionists and revolutionaries. So it was very easy to um, to grow up loving people who loved me, right? And what love looks like, um, you know, is it Cornel West who says justice is what love looks like in public? Um, I think it's him. And um, I feel like the, the white folks that I grew up with were so dedicated to justice and to black liberation that um, I didn't grow up with the shame of that identity that a lot of white folks grow up with and a lot of black folks grow up with, right? When the people who, you know, there's a um, an indigenous creator who says, who came up with the meme um, that says, uh, where should I put the statue of the people who killed your family, right? <laughs> when they're talking about like the statues that have been coming down in my area in the, in the San Francisco Bay area. And I think about like, you know, my dad, who was black, who identified as black, who had very dark skin, who came from black people. Um, there, what's that song? I'm black. I'm blackity black, right? Like, the, yeah. <laughs> right? And um, to have that kind of pride and growing up in a time when um, the message was being shifted, right? From like black as uh, dirty or. Um, less than or right i will i think of the word denigrated right like i don't use that word because it's to make black right as a as a negative and i grew up with people who loved their blackness um and so that was really powerful um i did not grow up with a lot of messaging around indigenous culture like i said um i am unregistered and that lack of registration is because of the blood compact um, and the story that my grandmother carried, my my dad's mom carried, is that um, our family had to choose between being black or being indigenous, right. and that's the words that she used. <laughs> um, uh, but those are the words that I use, and um, and her family, you know, her great great grandparents chose black and they were separated from their indigenous family and they were sharecropped indigenous family not too long after that was um, pushed on the trail of tears right so it's just a really complicated history of um, colonizers creating a blood compact that separated families in particular my family their families right lots of lots and lots of families and then um continuing the blood compact so that uh, we don't get to be reconnected to that 
right? And so yes. my family is reforming some of our tribal affiliations because we, you know, my sister is Taino and we have a lot of different things that come up. Um, but that is a mm-hmm. newer relationship that I'm building and, okay. and I'm building through um, having been an invited warrior onto Ohlone land in 2015. Um, I was part of the Black Lives Matter delegation that was invited to the sunrise ceremony on Thanksgiving. And okay. they wrote us a love and they invited us to stay on Ohlone land and to become, to learn and to be, to follow Ohlone leadership and to learn what it is to become land and water protectors and to shift the lie that only Black folks or only Indigenous folks can be the most impacted, mm-hmm. can get the resources, right? Like you have to, right? Because what, right. like it has to be a competition. Sold, right, and Black folks are sold um, colonization yeah. as freedom, right? We're told that if we can take land and get ahead and do all these things, yep. then we yep. will get to be where the white folks are. And, you know, my family, yep. my Choctaw, they already did that, right? They were part of the five, quote unquote, civilized tribes. And they right. betrayed their family members in order to keep their own freedom. And they lost their freedom anyway, right? So mm-hmm. I have that legacy in my body. And so now I get to be a Black person in the world who hopefully con- rejects and continues to reject the uh, the lie that I have to choose Black or Indigenous. And so I right. choose I choose both. I choose all of it. I choose freedom wow. for all of us. Mm. Oh, that's so rich. You just covered so much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You just covered so much. This is so fascinating to me. I literally was just having a conversation. I posted something about Indigenous people um, being erased in our culture and society and all these things. And someone came on and mentioned something about the five civilized tribes and how they own slaves, too, and things like that. And you mentioned something I want to ask to get some clarity on. So with your your indigenous ancestors, with them owning land, did you say they, they also um, enslaved, uh, owned slaves as well? Or they just own land? The Choctaw owned slaves, right? So if I'm, so they, uh, then yes, my people own slaves. But my- So my question- Family makeup, go ahead. My question from there would be, were those slave owning uh, indigenous people put onto the trail, trail of tears? Yes. So they were, even when they bought in to colonization and they played the game, yeah. they still were, you know, they had their land taken from them, they had their rights taken from them, and they still were put onto that trail of tears and pushed into these um, reservations and obviously their whole way of life even further was taken away from them. I, I never got that side of it. I never pieced, connected those dots. I did hear about indigenous people who were slave owners and I heard mm-hmm. about the Trail of Tears, but in my mind, I always thought that maybe the indigenous people who were slave owners were a part of a different class and they weren't put onto the Trail of Tears and didn't have to deal with that um, that outcome. So that just closed the gap in my mind. And, and so thank you and, and hopefully for our listeners. Um, so along the lines of this, I want to share something with you and get your, your, your perspective on, um, my, my view on race. Um, because, you know, 
just a couple of years ago, I made the decision to reject race as a social construct and no longer um, use it. Like I no longer identify, or let's say I, I no longer call people by the, the quote unquote races. I no longer call people black people. I no longer call people white people. I no longer personal identi personally identify as a black person. And the reason why is because I feel like by doing that, I am honoring um, colonization. I'm honoring you know, whiteness. I'm honoring white supremacy. I'm honoring the one drop rule. I'm honoring like all these, you know, um, outdated slavery based systems that were designed to uh, create the conditions for some groups of people to be less than, to be dehumanized, et cetera. And for the quote unquote white people to be elevated and, you know, have that term as a level of, of dominance and power and power over and all these various things that are embedded in those terms. Um, and again, I feel like they narrow um, our understanding and view of who we are and who each other are. And I just think it does a disservice to who, you know, the, the, the wholeness of humanity and all the different ways that, you know, our being has been, you know, the, the, the people we come from, the different legacies, the different um, cultures, uh, ethnicities, etc. So, yeah. Yeah, what do you yeah. think about that? I mean, I honor that path and I honor that way of thinking. And also, you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on <laughs> the calling mm -hmm. ourselves. You know, like I, I feel like um, one of the beautiful things about the movement right now, where we are in history. is we are shifting in so many ways from being victimized and trying to um, find some sort of empowerment in that to taking off the, the injuries that have been done to us and giving them back to colonizers where they belong. And, and so I, I see where you're going with that and, and I can respect that. And also, what Black means to me is the connection with not just my own relatives, but with all of the people who have been forced to live a double reality under uh, colonization. I don't remember exactly what W.D. Du Bois called it. I, want, I meant to look it up before we're here. Um, but that double reality of knowing that in your own world, in your own culture, with your own people. You are seen, you are respected, you are loved, you are real. You have work, you have home, you have a full and vibrant life and intelligence and you are seen as who you are. But we exist right next to a world that has claimed whiteness in such a way that they've erased themselves and all of us and all of our humanity and their humanity as well. And so 
I have this shirt from Frailty Myths, who's a great organization, and you should definitely have them on your podcast sometime. They're great folks. Um, the name Frailty, again? Frailty Myths, um, about the myths. Okay, Frailty of, Myths. Uh-huh, of um, mm-hmm. frailty and in, in femininity. And they have this shirt that I wear, um, that I that I got from them that says, I'll be post-feminist in the post-patriarchy. Mm, (laughs) and i feel like that that almost applies here right like that when um our folks are no longer so impacted by the terrible and brutal myth of white supremacy then to me that's a time to think about what i want to call myself and what we want to call each other right? Mm. But right now we are in the middle of the decline of this colonizer society. And as they Mm. fall, they try to take as many of us as they can with them. And I want folks to know that I am there in the trenches with them in the at the margins at the places of impact, doing together what we can do to save ourselves and each other. And so for me, that is part of what being Black is about, is being in that rhythm together where we're all rowing in the same direction, which is away from the, the monsters, right? And what I know is that the white folks in, in my life, and I you know, I have a white nesting partner, I have a, um, a lot of white folks in my, in my circle, but I have a, a really high standard for white folks, right? Like I said at the beginning, I grew up with people who, would come between me and any harm that was coming my way. Right? Right. And that's my standard for yeah. for that. So I appreciate that. And you know, one of the things I will say is that although I hold this belief and I've chosen to reject race in the ways that I have, I do respect where everyone is. I honor how anyone labels themselves. If someone tells me that they want to be called black, I will call them that if I need to identify, uh, use that as an identifier. Um, and I also very much so understand and can relate to that that cultural connectivity and the things that you uh, articulated. And I understand the mean, this is something I've struggled with because I understand the pride, the sense of camaraderie, the sense of history and the sense of overcoming that comes within that 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 label and that identifier. Um, I, I understand those things and I struggled and I grappled as I made this decision for myself. But I, so I'll say that while I respect and can understand why people hold on to it and I get the meaning of it and I still want that for people, my belief in everything that I say is not something that um, I'm saying that I need other people to get on with me. I, I'm not someone who, you know, projects my beliefs on the others and think that other people aren't as aware or as on any other tip or as woke. I'm not that guy. I'm not that person to say that, you know, you're not as quote unquote woke <laughs> as me if you don't think the way I think about liberation. Um, so for my personal liberation journey, that's something that, um, you know, I chose to do. And the, the one point that I want to make about what I'm trying to convey in this 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 thought of mine um, is that I personally feel like the uh, the most important element of this this belief of that I believe we need to transition away from race 
is that I believe that people of European descent need to transition away from whiteness. I think that they need to reject whiteness. And I, I think that as more and more people of European descent reject whiteness, I think that speaks to what you said about once you become post, you know, let's say race, you know, races or post whiteness, then I'll become post black yep. or post, you when, know. When they become post racist, I will consider becoming post black. Right. <laughs> I, to, I, to, I totally get it. I totally get it. I wrote an article called Why I Walked Away from White People and where I break I broke I break down my whole theory and my reasoning on the divisiveness that the divisiveness that I believe is embedded in the concept and social construct or system of race. Um, but that's kind of what I was kind of speaking to. And I definitely appreciate, you know, your thoughts um, and your perspective on my theory. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so I would like for you to expand a little more about, you know, you you mentioned that you are, um, I believe you said Choctaw Two-Spirit. Is that what you, is that how you identify when you talked about your indigenous identifiers? Yeah, indigenous Two-Spirit and African Third Gender. Okay, indigenous Two-Spirit and <laughs> African Third Gender. Can you please expand on the meaning of those European things for listeners? And European trickster. So yes, all three, thank you. Right. In, in this culture, in, in colonizer culture, we call it trans because you're assigned uh, a gender at birth, right? You're assigned a sex at birth. And um, when you're assigned a sex at birth, if your gender shifts, if your sex shifts, if your gender shifts, or if it lives outside of what you're assigned, uh, which is the story for me, I was named after both of my grandparents. I have, you know, his name and her name. Um, and so I say that I was assigned uh, two-spirit at birth. So I'm, the joke in my community is that I'm actually cis because I was assigned two-spirit two at birth. But, um, okay. right, but the, the word cis just means that you identify with the marker that you were assigned at birth. And the word trans means that you do not identify with the marker that you were assigned at birth. And I'm part of a movement of folks who, you know, I didn't do it when my kids were born. It wasn't a movement. I didn't know about it. I didn't even know it was an option. Um, but now I have, uh, you know, my my ex means many different things. And one of them is that that is my sex marker, right? On my document okay. is the ex. Um, okay. Identify as um, not on the spectrum of what was given to me. Um, and, you know- can, we, it, can, I, can, I, can I just drill down really quick in, in that, can you share what your marker was or your sex was given at, your birth no, sex was, what was given? They were given. Say nope. that again? Nope. You, okay. Yeah, we don't ask what, trans people what they were given. They just, they, they, they get to exist. I get to exist. All trans folks get to exist as who we are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so the X means, well, I know I'm looking at your pronouns and you have they, he. Uh-huh. Okay. So if I'm connecting the dots, you said the X stands for what? Like, can you, can you say that you're saying that it means a lot well, of things. I'm and one of the things. Right. I'm a revolutionary. Say that again. I'm a revolutionary. Okay. And I follow, um, black and brown revolutionary leadership. And so freedom fighters often in history and today 
when we are targeted by the state, um, claim the moniker X as a, a form of resistance, as a form of um, our own relationship with um, opting out of so many things that the state says that we're supposed to be a part of. And for me, that okay. also my sex and gender markers. Okay, thank you. So when you say um, indigenous two-spirit, African third gender, and European trickster, that those things all signal trans. And that's what that's what me and our and our listeners can take away from that. Um, I don't know that all people who identify as any of those things would also identify as trans. Um, okay. But for me, I also identify as trans. Okay. I just wanted to acknowledge and and say, um, you know, I want to thank you for holding your boundary on me asking the question about birth sex. And, you know, just setting that example for me and the listeners, I'm still learning and I just learned something new and thank you. And I, and hopefully my question, if it offended, I apologize. If my question was offensive, um, I apologize. Well, I think what is good is that people now know that that's not a question that you asked for, right? Like you and I get to together teach that lesson. Um, and I think that that is a really important lesson to learn and also to be I was listening to um after I listened to a couple of your podcasts I was listening to Alicia Garza uh uh Lady Don't Take No and and it's an episode with Malcolm Gladwell okay and uh, it was really also just wonderful to hear and I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell's and the question that Alicia asked him is tell me about a time when you changed your mind okay which is such a powerful question right because we live in a society where and he was talking about this like we live in a society where debate is you know you were talking about that both of you were talking about it you and Malcolm Gladwell were talking about the same thing in my in my podcast this morning um and so to what you were talking about, about adopting a nonviolent mode of communication, right? Rather than a violent mode of communication is so powerful, right? And so if we are in a war, you and I, if we're in a debate, if we're in a place where we're trying to just like put each other down or get each other down or try to be on top, what happens is that we can't have a change of mind We can't learn new things. We can't become closer through um, the cultivation of healthy and um, feel-good boundaries, right? And because we're having a conversation, because you're holding the space of conversation, because I can hold my own space, thanks to the people who have held and and loved and taught me, um, what I get to do is, what we get to do together is to be in a conversation that can shift um, not just prejudice, right, which is important, not just ignorance, which is important, but the idea that in order to be in communication, you have to have no prejudice and you have to have no ignorance. You have to have the humility 
to say like, I don't know how to do this. Can I ask you this thing? And you have to have the willingness and the safety to say yes or no as a real answer, right? And I feel like you and I are in communities together where we're cultivating that conversation, right? Where it's about consent, where it's about freedom, where it's about recognition and seeing and being who we really are, right? And so that's the spirit that I took it in. Do you know about the mantis shrimp? The mantis. Mantis. M-A-N-T-I-S. Uh-huh. And what about the mantis? Do I know about the mantis? Shrimp. Shrimp. Uh-huh. No, I don't. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of shrimp. I know what comes to my mind. What comes to your <laughs> mind when you think of shrimp? I think of food. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> right? There are, these, there are these tiny creatures, or even a, even a big one is still small, right? Yes. Well, the... And they're just, you know, soft with a little shell on them. They can't really do much. They just swim around. A lot of people think they're delicious. Yes. Um, yes. Well, the mantis shrimp can break glass. So you can't mm. keep it in a terrarium or aquarium or anything because it, it will break the glass. Right? Okay. It's a little shrimp. And also, the mantis shrimp is beautiful. It's like a whole rainbow. And the mantis shrimp has more color cones in its eyes than humans do. So it can literally see colors that we can only imagine. Wow. Right? And so when I think about new knowledge, when I think about conversations, when I think about things that exist and don't exist at the same time, I think about the mantis shrimp. And I think about how it fully exists, whether I see it or not, and I probably won't see it because if it was in an aquarium, it would break the glass and mess everything up, right? I probably would never get to see one in person. Hmm. But I believe that it exists and I can treat it with respect and I can um, honor its existence as real, even though I have never seen one in person. Right. Right? And I may never get to see one in person. I, I've seen pictures of them, you know? Um, yes. And so when I think about queer and trans people in particular, queer and trans and two-spirit people, and in the country that we live in that tries to erase us, that part of the the manifest destiny, part of the doctrine of discovery was to erase trans identities, right? What a revolutionary act it is as black folks to say, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't have all the knowledge of what someone was assigned at birth, even if I don't know if I ever will get to see someone like that in real life or get to see, you know, the whole of who they are, can I honor that they exist and that they're real? even if they're outside of my own experience, right? And that there's something that happened there, you know, in the Christian tradition and in in the Jewish tradition, there's a a way that you can leave a chair out for Elijah, right? And what that means is that there are people who are not in the room, who you may or may not have thought about, who could be there or should be there, and you leave an empty chair 
so that if they come, they can be there. And also to represent all the people who aren't there, right? And so, you know, in Black community, there's a, a really big push again. It happened in 2014. There was a lot of propaganda that was put out where, first of all, Black trans people exist, right? Like, just, I'm here, I am Black, I am trans, right. there it is, Black trans people exist, right? Even if there's right. only one of me, Black trans people exist. Right. Yes. Um, but there's been this propaganda that's like, oh, trans people are against Black people, or Black people are against trans people, which erases the fact that there are Black trans people, right? This whole thing with Dave Chappelle and whatever. Um, but it also makes it up to people who don't live there to define what we are or aren't, right? And when you start to do that, it's at least the beginning, if not the middle of fascism, right? Yes. When it, when you say, I get to determine whether other people exist or not, you have lost so much of your own freedom already. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. One of my one of my core values is that I believe that everyone should get to define themselves. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why I don't even introduce people. I ask you to define yourself, introduce yourself the way that you want to. And I just think that that is a rich practice and it aligns with everything you just said. Um, so, yeah, um, we are in alignment there. So I have another question for you. Oh, yeah. What... What is your work in the world? Um, what is your life's work? And in other ways I ask it, I've asked it in other shows, it's like, who are you professionally? Um, you know, I don't know if you, with your work, if you call it a profession, a passion or just work, but please share with us how you hold space in the world that a lot of people may consider work or a profession and what you would call what you do. Well, I would love to um, answer that question in a couple of ways. Um, one is that I exist as a parent to my children and a partner to my partners and a friend to my friends and a comrade to my comrades and a person who is living in the world in relationship with everything that is and everything that has been and everything that will be, right? So that is first and foremost. And my occupation and my goal, um, well, my, my dream that I dream, that I my vision that I want to bring here is that the salmon are returned to Strawberry Creek, which is a place in Berkeley where I live, where um, salmon the size of you and I used to swim um, all the way up. And um, wow. yeah. And for in my work, my goal is to end rape and slave capitalism in our lifetimes. Hmm. Rape and slave capitalism. So that's a, a very rich description of, of who you are and what you do in the world and how you exist in relationship with the various relationships, the people 
and the calling. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and what that looks like, like on a daily basis, I'm an artist, okay. I'm a musician, I'm a dancer, um, I'm a poet, I'm a writer, I'm a playwright, um, I'm a singer, a vocal activist, right? Like I go in the world and I try to bring my full self wherever I am and I try to be and demonstrate freedom and learn freedom from other people who have it and be in a movement with them. Um, and we do, in my organization, Peace Out Loud, we do lifespan, um, coming of age and sex education okay. classes. Um, we do anti-racism, lifespan anti-racism, and in particular, right, we do anti-racism for parents, for, um, for organizations, for various places where, you know, this year, um, I'm really excited we get to start on a project called the Anti-Racist Church, where we get to support folks who are um, making this really beautiful transition, right? To what does it mean yes. to call yourself an anti-racist and what does it mean to practice anti-racism in the world, right? Which, you know, is such a powerful place to live and to right. be. Um, and I wrote a play this year. This is my second play that I've written about climate change. The first one was about um, bees and uh, neonicotinoids, and it was a really amazing journey um, that helped to amplify the damage that um, pesticides are doing to bees and to the whole food chain. Um, and that has been really powerful. And then it also turns out that that's also happened to the water. Um, it's been damaging to the water system as well, and especially in California, but I'm sure in other places as well. I just don't have the information firsthand in the same way, right? Um, right. It means supporting water protectors all over the country and all over the world who are shutting down pipelines. It means doing trainings. It means like finding a way to make a joyful noise every day, whatever that means and whatever that. It's a lot of a lot of work. A lot of, a lot of work. <laughs> Well, I'm a, a, lot, a lot of I'm work. A so I like to have a lot of work. Yes. Yes, I can relate. I can relate. So our our current theme that we're on within this um, segment of, of our podcast is is popular culture. Yeah. And at <laughs> and and so here at Grow Dialogue, when we when we talk about popular culture, we're not talking about movies, TV, music and celebrity gossip. We're shining a spotlight on the various storylines, themes, norms in society that people like yourself are have noticed mm. and are critiquing and let's say working to improve or shift culture mm -hmm. in some way. And these are our dominant themes. Popular culture is the, the dominant themes, the dominant currents, the dominant norms and how they're impacting the, ma the masses. Mm -hmm. And you've mentioned a lot of things that you're doing and that you care about in the world. I wanna, I wanna focus on two that you mentioned in terms of your life's work, your passion, which are ending, you said ending slave capitalism and rape capitalism. Can you expand on what those two things mean and the actions you're taking towards ending them? 
yeah um i mean they're so so intricately connected right um but what i'm specifically talking about um is when people are when adult people are forced to do work against their will regardless of what kind of work that is whether it's sex work or in the fields or whatever it is if they're forced that is slave capitalism and often also rape capitalism right because we know that the two go together when you say forced are you mm -hmm. are you speaking about people who are doing work they don't like or are you talking about people being literally forced against their will well, um, I would say yes, <laughs> right? So there's a spectrum, there's a spectrum. Okay. Um, and uh, I have a comrade in uh, Hawaii who talks about this and I just really, it really shifted. We did a, um, a training camp a few years back and um, one of the Mauna Kea activists was talking about how in Hawaii, they have a living memory of Hawaiians being free, right? There are people who heard the stories from their grandparents who are alive on the planet, and there are st still some of those grandparents alive. And what freedom meant for them was you share what you have and you share what you don't have. And I just really loved that it really shifted something in my heart. And then there was also what he talked about is that for Hawaiians, paradise is their birthright, right? They knew they lived in paradise. It was their birthright. And they shared whatever they had and shared what they whatever they didn't have, right? And... what colonization did in Hawaii was take the lash and put it on Hawaiians in order to capture paradise as a carrot for people on the mainland who will put up with the lash their whole lives to go to Hawaii once a year or maybe one time in a lifetime or even the dream of maybe going there, right? Mm, yeah. And so what he said is that Hawaiians are under the lash and mm. mainlanders are under the lash, but they don't know it as much because Hawaii is the carrot for them, right? Mm. And there, you know, there's a whole spectrum of, of that. But if you are under the lash and think you're free, why would you believe someone who tells you they're under the lash? Right? Because then you're gonna have to look at the yeah. ways they are not free. And if they yeah. just quietly do their work, then you don't have to, you don't have to see, you don't have to know that they're being enslaved and you don't have to think about the ways that you have caused that enslavement, that you are complicit. And you don't have to think about the ways that you are also complicit and compliant in your own 
slavery, right? And and I'm not talking about channel slavery, right? I'm talking about yeah. the range of indentured servants, right? So so that question you yep. asked, I think, is a really important one. But specifically, I'm talking about the culture, the enculturation that we are in that says that anyone has a right to anyone else's body. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the culture that I'm trying to shift. Right? Okay. The mindset. And so and part of why I listened to the Malcolm Gladwell po- podcast this morning, I don't know if you know his work on the tipping point. Um, yes. But when I read his book um, or articles about his work was when I moved to the Bay Area and um, 9-11 happened shortly after I moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco Bay Area. And a lot of people were terrorized and in despair. Um, you know, I mean, we were all terrified to go on planes, right? Like, which is not in our conscious cultural memory. And people who weren't there maybe can't even imagine it, right? But like, we were like, it could happen to anyone at any time in a way that was really um, a shared lived experience of terror, right? Um, that had various impacts to, right? Like if you were in New York, the impact was different than if you were in California, but there was still an impact. Um, I think about that too, but um, I started reading The Tipping Point and learning that it doesn't actually, you don't have to change everyone's minds in order to get something done. What what you focus on is 3.5 to 10% of a given population and if you all together can learn together and change your own minds about a thing then you can impact and influence the rest of the culture to help them to think about it and change their minds as well and so i think about that with like you know i don't know if you and i are exactly the same age but i grew up listening to r kelly i did And I love R. Kelly songs. There are R. Kelly songs that play in my head, whether I want them to or not, right? All right. Mm-hmm. And I don't listen to his music, and my kids don't listen to his music, because I am not right. interested in perpetuating rape culture, right? Right. And it, it's not because he's the only one who acted out on that. It's because as a culture, we are shifting because of the work of um, intersectional feminists like Kimberly Crenshaw and the Combahee River Collective because of um, the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black queer feminists who started that movement because of uh, Toronto Burke and the Me Too movement, right? Like all of these um, Black, primarily femme leaders and thinkers who are saying we will not be free by living in a world where we are still not free from rape culture. We will not sacrifice and prioritize your freedom over ours. We will get free all together. Right? Right. And there is a, 
in the same way that that trans folks and black folks are pitted against each other black women and men and trans folks are pitted against each other by saying that like you have to support black men no matter what they do so that we can all move forward and get free and then when when we're free we'll address this issue and what our leadership now is saying and has been saying for a long time is saying no thank you right right and so it invites people who identify as mask or who identify as men to have a question to have a conversation amongst ourselves and say what do we want to perpetuate right what do i want to bring to the table am i willing to learn to be a feminist Am I willing to call myself a feminist? Am I willing to learn what that means? Am I willing to learn? Am I willing to make mistakes? Am I willing to see what it looks like to actually learn about consent culture and then practice it? Right? Yes. Yes. And so that's what I'm looking for, right? And that's why I surround myself with other men in mask folks who are doing that work right yes. who are not the work of like oh she ruined his reputation or she brought him down. no no that's not it <laughs> right? that's not it um and there's all these brilliant and beautiful creators who are doing this work you know i, I took a training with bay area transformative justice collective and mia mingus brings in the legacy of family um, claiming of each other's bodies in a way that uh, negates consent, right? And says, like, we are under the lash of the myth of white supremacy, right? And I say the myth of white supremacy because I don't believe that white people are supreme. (laughs) I mean, I've seen the Supremes and they're not white folks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You and I agree on that. Um, And so we are under that lash. And when people are under the lash, sometimes they then turn around and use a lash, whatever lash they can get hold of on other people, right? Right. And what what we're saying inside of these movements, of these consent movements and the in um, against rape culture and against slave capitalism and against the patriarchy that says that those things are okay, is they're not okay Mm -hmm. anymore. Right. Thank you. Thank you. So to close things out, I usually ask my guests if they can share a story that has inspired them or their work. I feel like you've done that in so many ways throughout <laughs> this interview. So I want to kind of put a spin on it, if mm. you don't, and if you don't mind. What I would like to do is ask if you could tell a story in a way that paints a picture for a future where slave capitalism and rape capitalism no longer exists. Mm -hmm. 
that may inspire our listeners. Thank you. I, I will. And I, I want to say that this um, this little story I'm about to tell is um, based on a, at least partially on a meme that Malkia Surreal put up. And you know, in the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, there were a lot of people who were, who were on the All Lives Matter tip, which is true. All lives do matter, right? But what Malkia really articulated in just a couple of sentences on a meme that went viral at the time was yes, all lives matter, but we're focused on the black ones right now because when black lives matter, then all lives will truly matter, right? Like, so that's what we're focused on. And so I think about that. And so um, as an Afrofuturist, I think about like, you know, a lot of folks think about like the, the terrible world that's coming. As an Afrofuturist, I claim the beautiful and brilliant world that's coming, right? there are black people in the future, like, right? Like the Black Futures Labs claims and says, right? And so what we do in our Peace Out Loud is we do a grounding that says this, and I'm gonna invite you to do it with me and anyone who's listening. If you want to, you can take a deep breath and just sort of settle in your seat. Notice where you're relaxed or not relaxed. If you can't take a deep breath where you are, it's okay to take sips of air. Our mentor, Gigi, says sips of air, like just like you're sucking it through a straw if you need to, right? Whatever kind of breathing you can do that helps to remind you of the reciprocity, right? Trees love us so much that they breathe what we need and take in what we put out. And we love them so much that we breathe in what they have for us and breathe out what they need, right? Reciprocity. That's what reciprocity can feel like, as easy as breathing. And so that's where we locate ourselves in the breath because the breath reminds us of that reciprocity. Imagine a world where black lives matter without reservation, without qualification. Breathe into that. Imagine a world where slave capitalism has shifted and life is remembered as priceless. Imagine a world where we are no longer looking for a way to get on top, but understanding our own place in the cycle and circle of life and value ourselves as unique and possibilities and limitless and also value every other being on the planet in that same way, even if they and we are part of the circle of life and we all live and we all die. Imagine that world where we value each other without reservation, without qualification. And I breathe into that. And then I take my imagined world and I pull it into the now, today. What would it look like for Black lives to matter without reservation? Can I start there? Can I live there? 
can you join me? And then I want to just um, share with you a little snippet of a song that's a traditional song that a lot of people know. Um, but I learned it from, um, oh goodness, Wendy Moore O'Neill. Wendy, I think is her name. And I watched her during the pandemic. They did these porch stories, stories from the front porch, and she's brilliant. And she started singing this, and I just wanted to share it. Um, I've got a right. I've got a right to the tree of life. Them birds sing. I got a right. Them birds sing. I got a right, them birds sing. I got a right, I got a right to the tree of life. If they do, I've got a right. If they do, I've got a right. If they do, I've got a right. I've got a right to the tree of life. So rich, thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing all of your gifts and bringing another one of your gifts into this space. And that's your gift and your passion for singing as a part of your liberation journey. And this has been such a rich discussion, such a meaningful discussion. Uh, I hope that our listeners get as much from it as I have gained. Um, again, so much gratitude to you, Ira, for being here. And I want to ask, is there a way for our listeners to, to, to keep in touch with you? Is there a particular website, social media handle that you would like to share? Yeah, um, three quick things. Peaceoutloud.org is our organization. Um, you can also find me on irafxarmstrong.com. I-R-A-X-Armstrong, just like the arm and strong. Um, and then we're starting a new project that will be linked to those websites within the next month or so called The Tyranny of Dinner. And um, mm. when it, I'll circle back around and, and give you more information, but it'll be linked to those websites and what we are creating. You know how um, in all those old school movies, the jailer has the key ring on the wall and you're like trying to rig the thing to get it and you can't ever get it? The Tyranny of Dinner. <laughs> yes. And each key is a portal to ways to help you get free. And we're sharing the ring with everyone. And so that's what we're working on right now is this um, private social media network for anti-capitalists and freedom fighters. Mm, yes, please, please keep us in the loop on that. Thank you so much, Ira, once again. And again, I'm, I'm sure that our listeners um, will get so much value out of this conversation. And until next time, Ira and all of our listeners. I love y'all. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast. Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.